Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This week on the Marketers Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct to Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Kevin Graham and this is the Axon Bulletin on a nice Wednesday afternoon. A big welcome to all those viewers of the broadcast, whether live or on catch-up, who are currently living under COP26 restrictions. Uh, we've been told to recycle more, be more green for the future of this planet. I'm doing my bit, lads. I'm really doing my bit. I'm a Celtic fan, so I'm very green. <laughs> uh, I believe that Glasgow is already green and white anyway. And I recycle other people's opinions as my own on this broadcast, eh? So I can't get much greener than that. Colin, what are you doing to be green? Uh, I mean, you're stealing everybody's thunder there, Kevin. Is there anything left that you can do to be green? <laughs> uh, no, I'm taking the Greta Thunberg approach, if you heard her chanting outside in Govan Park. Uh, I don't think I'm allowed to repeat that on air, but I will go with that. Uh, but aye, this is... Uh, uh, this COP thing makes absolutely no sense, Kevin. They're talking about saving the environment, talking about this. Have you seen the queues of aeroplanes flying out of Glasgow, Presswick and Edinburgh Airport and the travel cascades that they've got going all over the place? The best one I've seen was the Zimbabwean uh, group who came over, the delegation from Zimbabwe. So if you've not seen this, the delegation from Zimbabwe went to Costco and stocked up on Glenfiddich <laughs> beer and every other spirit under the sun and uh, yeah let's just say it's not going down well in their own country right now they're talking about overthrowing their leadership uh, uh, but I'm sure it was a great party I'm just jealous I wasn't invited I'm, I'm sure uh, the people who want to overthrow their government if they actually get a nice presentation box of Glenn Fuddock I'll actually, <laughs> I'll, I'll actually uh, like soothe their sieve uh, Brian what are you doing to be green? To be honest, mate, I, um, I'm at the road I'm, I'm quite far down south now, but um, one of my favourite bits of it was um, Joe Biden having a wee nap midway through. Uh, really Who doesn't he, mate? Who doesn't he <laughs> have a wee afternoon nap? First day of the the big fellas fell asleep, and I just thought, do you know what? That sums it up. It's costing £100 million to have a bunch of delegates sitting there agreeing on something. You could probably just do it over Zoom and donate £100 million. To, to facilities to take care of some climate change, but um, I just want them on self, just checking the EPC, the house, make sure it's all yeah, good. Energy I like that. I like that. I mean, that 100 million pounds could actually save the Maldives because that's what the Maldives are, are actually asking for. Uh, so, yeah, you're quite right there. You're, you're quite right. Uh, I want me Greta to be the capo at Celtic Park after after that video. <laughs> I, I, I think she'd be great doing the front of the North Curve. Right, 
we'll, we'll start, we'll get onto the serious stuff, even though saving the planet is extremely serious. Uh, Anthony Ralston, the big news yesterday that he, was, that he signed a new contract, keeping him at the club until 2025. The player has been at the club since the age of eight and he made his debut in 2016 at McDermott Park, a game I was at, um, funnily enough. I think we got beat and I think near beat on scored a penalty kick, if I remember correctly. I should have checked that. Um, the club is already holding him up as a product of the youth system and the player himself is also says that Cal McGregor and James Forrest have been major influences on him and his attitude. Um, Brian, can we have any complaints about this contract after the player having such a breakthrough season for Celtic? No, I don't think so. I think, look, regardless of what your opinions of him are as a footballer, what you can't deny is that he's worked so hard this season to improve himself and, and put the effort in. And the thing about it is he got a year extension, which would mean if clubs would have been interested in him, which I imagine there, there would be now, he'd have, he could have left for free. And how many times have we seen that movie? So I think it's prudent now. And I think... It's a, a, a sort of change in tact the club is used, um, especially um, during the summer and signing players to you know four or five year deals. So I think it's good business. I think you know he's. I, I still don't think he's first choice right back. I think Juranovic has got that, but you, you can't deny the, the effort the boys put in. He's he's he sort of earned it. He was written off at the start of the season. He was given you know I, I don't know if there's many other players in Celtic history have been slaughtered before a ball was kicked and he's proved a lot was wrong he's worked hard so so fair play and I think it'll ultimately be decent business to the club because well he's tied down Definitely Bruce FM on commenting on YouTube says thoroughly deserved well played Ralston um, Colin your views on Tony Ralston are well known um, the stats show this season he's been another present he's played 1,920 minutes scored four goals, he's had two assists and he's created six big chances. He's also got a heat map, a heat map that could, po- could power a small city, probably a city about the size of Inverness. I mean, global warming in that, but if you just put a solar panel on his back and, and, and we'll be able to save the energy crisis. Eh? Uh, the numbers are impressive for me, they are impressive, but I'm worried that his numbers are in the red zone and he will only continue at such an uh, impressive rate. I mean, that could just be me looking at the player before this season and know the player that we've had this season. But there's more intelligent guys out there who study these type of things, and they say that he struggles against speedy direct opponents in Europe, and domestically, luckily domestically, only Ryan Kent and Martin Boyle seem to have the metrics to, to trouble him. Um he also tops the, uh, the possession charts for possessions lost per game for Celtic. He loses on average 19.4 possessions per game, and that's the highest in the squad. So when you take, take all of that into account, are we right to have our doubts about him? I'd say so, and I'm not going to give my full range of um, what I think of Anthony Ralston because I can't really be bothered with the abuse that will probably come from it. Um, I mean, there's already some comments coming in already. Look, I've got my say on Anthony Ralston. Whether you agree with me or whether you don't, that's fine. But has anything changed from the position we were in at the start of the season? No, it's not. Is he performing how we expected him to perform this season? Most likely. He could always have done a job against a St Mirren or a Dundee United or a Livingston. What we need to do is if you want to move forward as a team, you've got to have the players that can go beyond that level and take it to the next level. We're talking about on Monday, the Monday team we're talking about, we don't want to drop into the Conference League. But that'll be your level with the kind of players that we've got. If you want to make the step up, you've got to bring the players in. We're in a transition period at the minute. As you said, Brian, I would have Juranovic in there right away. Um, just because a guy gives 100% every game, that's the least you can expect from players or the least you can demand from players. I just think there's he's a limited footballer and he's done well. He's deserved his contract and we'll see how many games he gets out of the next three years. He has done well, Brian, and, and that's the point. And I don't think anybody can take a, take away that 
that that he deserves this contract. But there is two sides to this, and I'm completely in the middle. I'm the host. I get to be in the middle. I'm completely, I'm completely in the middle of this. Is this a sign of the club downsizing that Anthony Ralston has been given this four-year deal where the signs are up until now he has been a limited footballer? Or is this the club utilising its academy and, and promoting from within the way it should be? So it's a tricky one. Um... I don't think I don't think it's necessarily a sign of downsizing. I think it's the fact that I don't think many people would have expected him to even be considered a backup player. But he's shown that, and so I think it's smart business to tie him down. Um, I, I, look, I'm not sure anybody's going to say Celtic, Celtic's academy is producing world class players. Here's Anthony Ralston, but the reality is, as I say, he's, he's not received the club some money by being a, a good backup for Yanovich. Um, but again, I don't think. Well, I'm I'm quite happy he's got a contract, and I say I think he's earned it. I kind of disagree with Colin saying he's no. Uh, there's a point we'll probably make later on uh, uh, regarding the Livingston game, but the the players in the park, I would say, not be a large part, but there's a there's a section of players in the park that simply aren't good enough. They play the type of football that we need to play. They can play it, they're just no great at it. And I think Ross Ralston probably falls into that category. That being said, he's never really let us down. So it's quite a good dynamic to have, I suppose. As I say, I think he's not going to be on massive wages. I don't think it's a, an indictment of anything more than a reward for his his, his decent work. And as I say, obviously, Postacog Glue, you know, rates him enough that um, he's, he's been fairly present. Yeah, it has been. Um, I mean, John Johnny Ryan says Ralston's only twenty-two. He's got years to improve. That 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 is true as well. But what, what the, the point I'm maybe trying to make, and I'm maybe trying to make it badly here, is <laughs> was earlier on when he got that contract for the year. Can everybody remember the the uproar there was that he got that contract for a year? And and as as for me, it is kind of clouding my judgment on giving him four years at this precise moment in time because I'm still seeing that player that was at loan at Dundee United and St. Johnson, even though he's been utterly fantastic for us this season. And I'm still sitting here with a, a smidgen of doubt in my mind, Colin, that we've maybe jumped the gun here. And I, I can't shake that. I can't shake that at this precise moment in time. And I love what Anthony Ralston's done this season. Now, the thing is, but we've, we've been on about this kind of several times about having a a squad. And I think you're seeing this more now when you look at like Sir Roderick and stuff being out. Roderick's out, Starfelt's out. You've got these players that you need to be able to turn to. Now, would you have said back in July that Anthony Ralston was somebody that you could turn to? Most likely not. But now with the kind of form that he's, he's kind of shown, then he is somebody he can turn to. So it is part of building a squad. But as I said, he wouldn't be the first choice. He's someone that, and I think I seen somebody say it in the comment section there, he's a solid hand, and that's mm-hmm. kind of what you're looking for. Um, I, like that. for I like that a solid uh, hand. I do like that description. Now. So um, to be honest, he'll get his deal. However many games he'll get, he'll get. But. It's about having those squad players. We said back in uh, the summer, and people had a go at us then, the, uh, that Stephen Mill should be a squad player eventually. That's what he's became. That's mm-hmm. not a, a slight or a dig on the players. It's just the fact that you need to have squad players. You need to have first-choice players, and you need to have star players in your squad. Ra- Ralph's not be a squad player, and that's if he's happy with that going forward for the next four years, then that's, that's great. It's good to have around. Remember Paul Telfer when when came and he brought in Paul Telfer and he was a kind of reliable scorer. He, he never really did anything wrong. He didn't really do loads right, but he was a good guy to have around and he was good cover. So I think Ralston's in that mode and I th- I, I think you're probably right about Welsh as well. Like and there's no harm in in because there'll be times we're coming out the team blah blah blah, but. We, we, we can't be hypocrites either because we've spoke a long time about Celtic needing to be at a higher level to improve as a club, to improve the players and stuff. And we, we, we always have to be looking at who's better. You know, if, if we're going 
say we're looking at saying an attacking midfielder in January, which we need at least one, right? Probably two. That doesn't mean that David Turnbull's going to get binned and he's rubbish. It's just that we need to look for someone that's better than what we already have. And then that, that'll change. That's just the dynamics of our football club. So I think there's a, there's a tendency, and, and again, it, it leads into a point later, but there's a tendency to sort of pick a side and stick to it. You know, mm-hmm. if you like the option for the start, you need to always like him, no matter if he's good or bad. If you didn't like it at the start, you need to always admit he says rubbish all the time. And I think that's nonsense. I think opinions can change, form can change, and the dynamics of the team and the how you view it can change. So I don't see any why anybody has to get overly excited about it. It's not a particularly great thing. It's not a particularly bad thing. It's just a thing, and it's no damaging the club. It's probably giving the player a reward. I don't see anything wrong with that either way. We'll leave the last word to Misty Indigo on YouTube. Up until now, we had no idea what he could do as a player. Also, people develop at different times. Uh, everybody at a Celtic state of mind is pleased that Anthony Ralston has signed an extension to his contract. Well done to the lad. He's for a Celtic family. He's a Celtic man. And it's always good to have one of one of our own uh, in the dressing room. Uh, so we'll see how, how, how this progresses. It's been a great story so far. And hopefully his story only gets better for him and for the football club uh, Brian you did mention Livingston so we need to go back there um, basically I have no complaints about the outcome of this game um, none whatsoever we created only one big chance the whole game and we missed that which was the penalty kick and apart from the last 10 minutes once Ange Postacoglu he did alter the approach slightly did we create anything basically half worthy we are talking about. We just lacked our inventiveness in the final third. Again, looking back on it, I have no disappointment in the players' efforts whatsoever. My feeling at the final whistle was one of frustration rather than disappointment or anger. Uh, even though getting angry at football games is a wasted emotion, getting angry in your life is a wasted emotion, strangely enough. But I was frustrated that we didn't show the quality that we had to win that game in those 90 minutes. Sitting so, here, sit, sorry. No, you're right. I was just going to say, so my feelings on it are, are similar in a way, except I think the, the players are, are a bit more accountable than we're, we're, we're saying. So I was looking at the stats, and obviously you get 85% possession, which is the big headline one. But we also won 80% of tackles, despite apparently getting away the same amount of fouls as, as Livingston. Um we had 90% passing success rate and we won 70% of the aerial tackles or aerial duels, they're calling them. Mm-hmm. That shows to me that the, the, you know, the way the team was set up for largely was working. But out of the 16 shots we had, only two were in target. Now, I've seen the, the, the manager, as usual, taking a lot of criticism and he deserves criticism for a couple of things which I'll come to, but in terms of the, the way the team performed, I don't see what much more could have been done. So several times during the game, he altered. So he, he's normal approach. Um, then it was a bit more direct with crosses. Then when Staff went off, he switched to a 4-4-2 with Kyoko and uh, Jay Marcus up front. Again, told the full-backs to stay wider. So there was, two, there was a plan A, B and C probably. Unfortunately, I think there's a point where it has to come down to the players. Ange never missed that penalty. Big G Marcus did. He scuffed several chances. I think Forrest put a chance wide. There was needy shooting for long range. So uh, there's only so much you can do off the park. I think the players are going to be murder for this result. I don't, on the scale of things, think it's, you know, I'm not quite as hyperbolic as some. I think four po- heading into January, four points in it. I would probably have took it at the start of the season considering the shambles we inherited. I think we all said it's a two or three transfer window season, so I'm not changing my mind on that. But I think it seems to be the case that post the for whatever reason, can they do right for doing wrong? You know, if he starts Kyogo and it's the same result, he'd be up to say, well, G. Marcus should have been on because he can bully defenders. If it doesn't change, it doesn't go 4 4 2, or if he goes a bit more direct, or if he changes the game, it's just. The worst thing Forster Cogley had done for me was, was talk about sticking to his system and sticking to his philosophy. Because what that translates is I'm never changing my mind, I'm playing the same all the time. And that's not the case. The approach to a game 
and the taxes in a game are two different things. And people are saying he should he should change his philosophy and you go, right. So I can get that when he's conceding goals at the start of the season. But defensively we're strong. And the problem in that game is we're only scoring goals. If anybody thinks the solution to that is to change from an attacking philosophy, they're wrong. If you think that can be tactically things done different, that's fine. I'm not sure what. I think it was doing to players, and I think in another day, one of the players is more confident or connects one of their shots, it's a different result. Um, so, and, and I can just where he does deserve criticism for balance is I don't see why he irritated the squad that, or the team that played against Tibbs. It, it seemed very strange to me. You know, even said he said it was the best performance of the season and then changes it. I, I, I don't know. He knows far better than me, um, but I just... I, I'm never a fan of rotation for rotation's sake, and that's what it looked like. And it didn't seem to work. And then switching to Juranovic, to Jay Marcus as penalty taker again, obviously in hindsight it didn't work. And maybe they saw something different, but again, that seemed a very strange call to me. So there is criticism to be had, but I think constantly criticising the system, if it's a bad result, and no really praising it if it's a good result, doesn't work. And I think the players need to take accountability because they're out there. And the you know, I, I, I just think if they're, if they're playing the incisive, the incisive passes quicker, if you play stuff like that, once the, the game starts, the manager can't do anything about that. It's got to be accountable for the squad. It's got to be. The, 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 the manager can influence the game, and I think he did attempt to influence the game on this occasion. Colin, Brian mentioned the team selection there. Uh, for me, this was Celtic's fifth game in two weeks. Mm-hmm. And the team, the team selection reflected this. My gut instinct when I saw the team was it didn't feel right. It felt too conservative in the midfield with the midfield three, the personnel in the midfield three against an ultra defensive team. But I was glad that we had the options on the bench to change it. I had a look at the bench and went, "That is a strong bench to actually mm-hmm. change it." Well, let's not like for me. The switches were caused by injuries to Rogic and also injuries to Kyogo. Basically, Kyogo's on that bench only to be brought on in the situation where he was brought on. He was not fit enough to start the game and there was no way that if we were 2 enough or not, Kyogo would have, would have actually seen any minutes whatsoever in that game. We've also got the, we've also got the, the easing back in of uh, Mikey Johnson. Mikey Johnson played 70 minutes the other night or however long they played and they've decided he has to sit out that because he's maybe not physically ready to play the, the two games so close together. We can question the starting lineup behind by hindsight, but for me the team selection just highlighted a lack of depth in the squad, especially in the midfield, and we're reliant on too many of the same players. We are reliant on too many of the same players. And the injuries to Rogic and Starfelt during that game, well, Rogic against Hibbs, Starfelt against Livingston, prove that. I mean, you have a look at Rogic. Rogic this season has played 1,216 minutes. Last season, he played a total of 1,408 minutes the whole season. Starfelt played 1,768 minutes last season. And last this season, sorry, and last season he played 2,764. I think the team selection, for me, as Postacoglu is saying, I need to actually try to change something here, but we haven't got the personnel to do it at this precise I, moment in time. I, I tell you what, I, I apologise to Alan Morrison here because I'm, I'm not clued up on the stats from this game, much like yourselves. He's been kind of spewing them stats out left, right and centre, I think. Uh, you must have got a new book in the last couple of days, Kevin, to have that all written down. Um, but no, you're, you're right. Look, the one thing that kind of surprised me about that team selection, and I know he was on the bench, but surely we've got to start putting the milk cartons out to find out where James McCarthy is. Because <laughs> it's unacceptable that you've got this guy in and the manager keeps saying he's ready to go, he's ready to go, and in comes Beaton now. I don't think Beaton necessarily had a bad game. But he is someone that's going to slow the tempo down. Well, I can argue with that. <laughs> when you look at it, for me, the idea of McCarthy, as he was starting to come into it, is that he can play the ball through the middle 
onto the attackers. When you take Tom Rogic out of that team, that option to go through the middle is, is gone. It's completely gone because the likes of Turnbull and McGregor, they don't find themselves naturally in the centre of the park. You look at Turnbull when he's putting crosses in, he's actually out in the right or he's out in the left-hand side. McGregor's dropped so far back to kind of pick the ball up. There isn't that player that's in the middle of the park that's trying to play it through into the striker. See, when you take a look at that third goal over at Easter Road and the close touch and control of actually going through the middle of a defence... That is the kind of thing that you're missing when Tom Rogic's not in the team. And that's the kind of player that you need to try and look at to bring in in January so that you've got um, Rogic and AN other in there because we put the ball out wide time and time again and the crosses that came in were just unacceptable. Now, people will say, oh, Yakamatis could have jumped for it or this player could have jumped for it. But realistically, he was the only one in that box at that point. So if you don't hit Yakamatis, then who's there? There's nobody else following it in. And I don't like you talk about the Rangers too much, but when you look at the first two goals they scored at the weekend, one was the left-back crossing over to the right-back who connects with it, and the second one's the right-back crossing it into their striker. He, he generally, they look up and they put a ball in, and it's accurate. Our crosses were horrendous on Saturday. The best one probably came from... Uh, Anthony Ralston right at the, the kind of dying minutes of the game. But why is it taking till 90 minutes before we can put a, a decent ball over? I think somebody said uh, there's like 84 crosses over the last two games against Livingston. And we, we've got two shots on target for the whole game, the whole 180 minutes. We've got to try and change it up. But I, I get there's not the, the players there. But for me, one of the most effective players on Saturday was Jota Jota wanted on the ball time and time and time again and he would take his man on but when he looked up who was there you Jack and Mattis with Obalaye and the other Livingston defender around him and nobody was coming in for him to give him another target to so the ball got floated in time and time again it went over Jack head and it went out and they cleared it up the park and we retained the possession we've got to try and change that up what Colin actually says there Brian is like one one of my biggest bugbears was not Yakamakis taking the penalty kick. The penalty kick was soft. I, I couldn't believe it was given, truthfully. It was almost as if Bobby Madden had just got fed up of Livingston's antics, the same as all the resters, and just decided to give a penalty kick out of spite. But we know that referees didn't give penalty kicks out of spite or because of an uncon- unconscious bias or anything like that. My bugbear was he was on the park to take the penalty kick. Um, I mean, there was 37 crosses put into the box at the weekend, and I was closer to most of them sitting in 4 1 2 than Yakamakis, and some of them were poor, but there were some of them that were going into the box. And we've done, I've, I've looked at this player, I've done the research on this player, and he's a penalty box player who's food and drink as crosses into the box, either low or high, when you look at his goal reel for for, for the Dutch side, this should have been food or drink for him. But on Saturday, it was like Harry Potter appearing in a James Bond film. It just didn't make any sense whatsoever on on, on the park. And what, what, what's your thoughts on the penalty kick? We'll go back to the midfield, but what's your thoughts on the penalty kick in, in Georgios Giacomacus? I, I must admit, I really do must admit, this is my first sighting of Yakamakis in, in the flesh. I've been impressed with him when I've seen him on the telly. I wasn't, impre- I wasn't impressed on Saturday whatsoever. Yes, so first of all, the penalty, such a strange one. Like It's a red card because the boy puts his hand out well in the contacts. It's a bit like, remember when the, the boy slapped Dida? There would be AC Milan at Parkhead. Mm. You know, the reserve had been shot. So, you know, he's, he's been doing easily and a bit dramatically, but he was hurt. So it was a red card anyway. And I was not sure if just because it's a red card in the box it necessarily makes it a penalty. I was confused, if I'm honest. I was glad to go to the penalty, and then I was gutted I missed it. So um, I suppose it, <laughs> it worked itself at the end. Um, in terms of Yamakis, it's what I said at the start. It's, you know, I just... The players have to be taking accountability as well. As you, as you said, Colin, there with the amount of crosses coming in, Somebody's either got to go to the end of them or the crosses need to be better. 
You know, these are things that there has to be a, a responsibility taken. But I was just thinking as we were talking there, see any time, you, you know, see when McGregor's sort of out of position, the midfield goes, it, it just changes that that magic. So if Roderick's no playing, if McGregor's no playing, that, if that dynamic isn't there, we're no working. And if you take Kyogo at the team, you also have that lack of movement. Now, I'm not sure, I don't know how much, you know, movement he'd have got considering the amount of people behind the ball. But as I say, just we know the problems with the team. The problems with the team is we don't have enough good players. That's the, the, the reality. And if you take a couple of key players out, we're, we're struggling. It's, and it's it's as simple as that, I think. And it's frustrating, but that's just why we've been sort of harping on for the, the start of the season that it's going to take a while because we do need to get bodies in. We need to get a bit more quality in. And Sunday with just that extra sharp eyes, you see, like, like Jota, that extra creative flair. We did lack it for the midfield and I've been kind of harping on about the midfield for the start of the season because I never really felt the defence was the issue or the attack was the issue. I always thought it was the transition between and it was the same again in, in uh, against Livingston. Although, I'm not buying this well done to Livingston for a defensive masterclass. It was anti-football. I, I don't care what says. If you're going and you're setting up like that, you've no intention of getting the result or entertaining people. I mean, I've looked my team's in a relegation battle, but for me, it's exactly not what I want to see in a football team. No, Brian, I agree. Liverpool, Livingston were just a horrible gang who deserve no credit whatsoever to, and they deserve to get slaughtered at the gates of the god of football. Uh, Con, going to come in here. We've got a new Tyrone. The Tyrone partner's back. I, I don't know where, where he's been. Uh, Yakamakis could be the new Tyrone. Uh, what's your overall feeling on, on Yakamakis? Do you know it's a it's a difficult one because I don't want to kind of say that it's what we should have expected from him, but we've kind of only seen him in fleeting appearances so far, and then the performance that he did put in against St Saint Johnston when he played that that kind of that wasn't too dissimilar from the performance that we got against him on Saturday. I I don't think you you get the same sort of energy and the same sort of commitment from him is what you get when you've got Kyogo up through the middle. Now, I don't know if that's a case of maybe having to play two up front and and he needs a strike partner alongside him or whether it's just he doesn't suit the system that we're set up to play. When he got, we took his goal well against St Johnston, he had his chances against uh, Livingston on Saturday and you could see he was exasperated by the end of the game. I mean, he, he's head in his hands, he know what he'd done. I know people have said that that's just how he steps up to take a penalty, but see if you're not full of confidence, just put your foot through it. Put your foot through it and see what happens. If it went over the bar and he put his foot through it, I think people would be kind of a wee bit less harsh on him than the fact that how poorly he took the penalty on Saturday. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. As you said, should they have been on the park? Should they have took the penalty? Should the penalty have even been retaken? 
because to me the the goalkeeper's miles off his line when he goes to make that save. Look, it's all if buts and maybe's. The fact is we had ninety minutes to put in a performance to get ourselves top of the table for the first time in God knows how long. And we didn't follow through. That was our first big challenge that we've had in that sense. And we didn't do it. We have to learn the lessons from that and learn them quickly because the way this season's going, we're only going to get a couple of bites at the cherry. I think I think we could get more than a couple of bites at the, the cherry. I'm I'm not going to go back and what I says a couple of weeks ago when I says this could be the lowest points total to win a league for a, a, for a number of years, and I'm not I'm, I'm not going to change my opinion on that. The last thing, the last word on the Livingston game before we move on to the midfield and Ferris Varos tomorrow night. And I'm going to come to Colin because Colin was in the stadium as well, the same as myself on this. Then so on the 30th minute, there was a, a stomping, very, very soulful let the people sing as the majority of the stadium showed support with the protest against the possible appointment of Bernard Higgins to a security role within the club. For me, and this is just my opinion, it showed that all is not lost uh, within the support and we haven't just become a silent support who just want to win games of football and ignore the other issues that have been foisted upon us. And the PLC got the message in that 30th minute. They got the message that Bernard Higgins is not going to be welcomed by the paying punters in that stadium. Um, now, we can argue all day about whether you should do it in the stadium or not. Football fans only have the stadium to protest them. That's where it makes the maximum impact, uh, for me anyway. And whether it's by songs, banners, silences or empty seats, I feel Saturday's protest was expertly executed, Colin, and the message was loud and clear. Yeah, I think if anybody in the board had any second thoughts on the appointment or the potential appointment of Bernard Higgins, then I think they got the message loud and clear from the Celtic support on Saturday. Um, and it's not just the Green Brigade, it has to be said, you've got the North Curve, you've got the, the boys group um, and the protests and the banners that they put up were well organised and well thought and well thought out and well put together. Look, everybody knows about this guy's past and they know about the trouble that it's caused for hundreds and thousands of not only Celtic fans but Scottish football fans across the country. When someone like that's potentially being brought into your club, then you've got to find a way to, to put your point across. I think, as you said, it was um, well organised. I think it had a, a very strong impact. I don't think it had an impact on the team the way that some people thought that it was going no. to because they were actually in the ground. If we'd have scored, they'd have celebrated. It wasn't for the fact that they weren't cheering for 30 minutes that it made any impact on that game. But, uh, yeah, as long as this goes on, I'm sure that won't be the end of it. Brian, as Colin, as Colin says there, I don't think it had a, an, a, I don't think it had an impact on the atmosphere whatsoever. Um, Colin mentioned the Green Brigade and the boys. What I was more heartened by was the fact that the normal punter actually got involved as well. Maybe not in the silence, but when the silence ended, the, the normal punter got involved, and also when the banners were revealed, there was a, there was loud, there was a round of applause all around the stadium, and for me that's quite heartening for somebody who is as vocal opponent of the board as myself. Oh, it's, it was just nice to see this, the fans that are united together again, wasn't it? And I says the, the, the positive is it's good to see, as you say, the fans getting involved in, in making their feelings known. The, the, the downside of it is that it just shows the disconnect between the board and the fans highlighted again, doesn't it? Because every fan there, as you say, feels the same. I don't think there's a section that are like, oh, the guy probably did a good job, let's give him a chance. I think universally, nobody wants him at the club. So it was a very, it was either a very naive appointment or an appointment designed to make mischief. Um, but I think the fans were stuck together, which is nice, um, and, and showing a bit of solidarity. So, and I, I, I agree with you. I don't think it much a factor on the actual players or the, or the game. Yeah. They've been silent for ninety minutes, maybe, but I, I don't have any real issues with it. And it's not about necessarily always agreeing with the Green Brigade or, or any of that stuff. Or it's just the fact that. This guy, he's calling out the said he's, he's affected people within Scottish football in a very negative way over the years. Um, and, you know, it just seems that 
it was, as I say, it was a, it was a naive appointment, if anything, and I'm glad the fans stuck together. I'm going to bring up Roddy McDonald's point here uh, for a bit of discussion. We said last season that the lack of fans' noise hurt us, so it's not consistent to say that the fans' silence had no impact on the team on Saturday. I think that that's two different matters. Uh, there was the North Curve and the boys group who were actually having the silence only number about 1,500 at the most, maybe 2,000 at the most. There was another 48,000 in the stadium that could have made noise if they wanted to and chose not to. Or or does that just show how much we actually rely on these groups to generate an atmosphere, Colin? Do you know, one of the kind of takeaways from it was it was good to hear the chants coming from the Kano kids on Saturday. Um, that, that brought a smile to the face looking at that. Um, and I know from reading um, some of the stuff that's going out on Twitter, especially uh, from young Aaron Boyle, who uh, was kind of with the kids on Saturday, they had a great time trying to generate a bit of the atmosphere. Uh, that's, as you said, there is 48 to 50 odd other thousand fans in the stadium. If it was such a big deal, I'm sure there's another group up there that would have stepped up to to make the noise. If Celtic had scored, that place would have still erupted. Do you know what I mean? So I was uh, I was very surprised to be honest, given the reaction that I seen online, um, the reaction inside the stadium, uh, because it universally was a positive reaction to them. But in the same sense, it was a great thing to see. The urban close, you need to bring this up. The Kano kids are counter-revolutionaries. They might be, there might be some of them as they grow up to actually be like that. Um, Brown Warrior uh, says, silence the objectors by employing a guy who's an expert in singling protesters out. That was the reason that was a silence. That's what was the point that these groups were trying to make. And again, I says I think it worked and I think the majority of the fans made sure that the PLC got got the message. We'll move on to, to tomorrow night and we'll also have a look at the midfield. We've already mentioned the midfield. And tomorrow night's a different game, but overall there's a bigger picture here, Colin. We're going to need to actually learn how to break down joyless teams that come to Celtic Park now that St. Johnson, Dundee United, Livingston and Ferris Varos to an extent have actually done it. Mm-hmm. Uh, to us they've learned that's a game plan now on how to frustrate us for me the answer lies in the midfield and we need a more active pivot when faced with these sides you, mean, you, you mentioned like near beat on earlier on and by the way I'm going to actually need to bring this up I'm not having anyone call him Nero as, An- as Ange Postacoglu did in the press conference earlier on. Uh, when he's called him Nero, I'm, nah, I'm not having that. I'm not having him getting called Nero. Uh, <laughs> that's just me, though. Um, against, I'm going to hit you with my figures here, Colin. So he had 113 touches against Livy, right? He mm-hmm. contributed, no key passes, no shots, no dribbles, and he created no chances. Mm-hmm. He was basically an empty jersey against that type of opposition. There was no need for him to be there with, with that type of opposition. If you have a look at Callum McGregor in the same position against Motherwell, St. Johnson and Ferris Varos, he has nine key passes. That is a pass that uh, creates a chance. Uh, he had, I'm just trying to have a look here, he had, and he had seven shots. He's also, he's also more creative in that role. And he's more effective in the press, according to something that I read on the Celtic Way last night. I think what this proves, and even tomorrow night, we need our pivot to be creative in certain games. And tomorrow's one of those games as well. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I think when you look at it, this is going to be a totally different game um, from the the time that Friday came to Celtic Park. Because when you look at it, they set out to sort of... um, Sort of the same way that Livingston and St Johnston have played to kind of limit Celtic to chances from either outside the box, which we don't seem to put an effort in, or to put them out wide to put the crosses in. Uh, I love that Nero's kind of going through that now. Uh, that's what happens when you mention stuff like that, Kev. Um, what you're looking at here, but is we're probably going to be a team that's on the counter attack uh, tomorrow night because. 
they know that they've got to try and get the points in this game, uh, finish Faros. Otherwise, I believe they're out of the competition completely. Um, mm-hmm. So they are going to come out and they are going to have a go at us. And if you listen to, to Kev McCluskey, um, our Hungarian expert, he tells you that they're a very, very dangerous team. So although we never saw it at Celtic Park, don't be surprised if they come out and have a go at us from the word go. And there's two things that we need to to watch out for um, tomorrow night. The first one is protecting that back four because you're going to probably play Juranovic at left back again and you're also going to have Stephen Welsh who hasn't played since the Livingston defeat. So he's someone that could be potentially caught out cold because there is no development team, there is no games that he can go and play. He's just simply not kicked a ball apart from in training since that game and we're throwing him in there. Then you're sitting going, who's going to play that role in front of them? Do you trust McGregor to play in that role? If so, you need two other midfielders. And then it comes down to who do you play in there? Now, David Turnbull, uh, David Turnbull can be very, very effective for Celtic. We saw it when we were away at Betis. Uh, I think he was one of the best players on the park that day. But then you have games like Saturday where he was very ineffective. He didn't contribute a lot. I'm sure, Kev, you've got the stats there somewhere for how David Turnbull played on Saturday. Um, but, I mean, I was walking out the, the ground on Saturday and um, they, there was the players signing the jerseys and the, the stuff for the kids and David David Turnbull's head was straight down, straight into his his, um, his car. I think he was very disappointed with his performance and it kind of shows you um, the mindset that maybe he's in. Hopefully he can bounce back from that for Thursday night. Before you go any further, Colin, he was only midfield player that had a shot that was a deflection. That, uh, that took a mid- massive deflection. He, yeah. he had he had one shot and he had four shots blocked. He was only midfielder at try it had a goal for outside the box. Yeah, I remember he had the shot blocked in the second half when he was about thirty seven to forty yards out. Um mm-hmm. and that kind of shows you the desperation that we we're getting to there. So the the midfield three is going to be the most difficult selection. For me, you've got a number ten stuck on every day of the week for this game and he showed it in the first leg as well Jota's got to play through the middle Jota has to be your number 10 tomorrow night considering that Rogic isn't there he's got to be there the question then goes do you play Turnbull as your number 8 box to box or do you play McGregor in that role and then you're looking at it's probably going to need to be beat on because you're not going to bring Sorrow in out of the cold and McCarthy as we know we, we don't know where he is right now Um He's, he's on the milk cartons, we can't find him. <laughs> to, Brian, to agree with what Colin actually says there, McGregor for me has to be the pivot. He has to play as a number six. For me, that means Beaton has to move to centre half. If Beaton is in Ange Postacoglu's consideration for selection. Would you I pick g- Beaton over Welsh then? If near Beaton is in Ange Postacoglu's thoughts, it should only be at centre half for tomorrow evening. And in, in your own thoughts, though, I wouldn't have beat on anywhere near the team. There's going to be heat marks in, in his ex-season at half. Um, I, I think I don't think I think beat on probably has to. <sighs> So I think you're right. Cal Mergers better as a six because you can relieve the pressure off the defence, collect the ball and make things happen. I think given a lack of resource in midfield, you probably need to be on playing with McGregor. And I would agree with Colin. Actually, I would give Jota a try just purely because you can see the difference Roger makes when he's... When we're talking about beating a low block, the best way to do that is to dribble and get players that are direct and can move in and out and draw players about. So you need someone to do that, especially with his pace for the middle and a counter-attack as well, which I imagine we'll be doing because I dare say uh, Fenris Farrell will, will go for it. So I would probably have um, Beaton, McGregor, is the box-to-box, and Jota in the, uh, number 10. Um, that that seems like a sensible option for me. Just just find something different because I, I don't know if Turnbull's dynamic enough if Beaton's playing. And I suspect will. I think what you've got with Jota as well is he's the only one that comes close to Rogic in terms of close control. He's the only one who's got the sort of trickery to take somebody on in that aspect as well. And he's always cutting in anyway. 
So he's naturally more comfortable in the middle of the park. See, when you look at the, the ball that he played through to uh, Kyogo for the opening goal against Fenich Varos, yes, he's coming in off the left, but he's getting towards the middle of the park where he can play that ball through the middle. That's where we are at our best is when we're actually cutting open teams and going through the middle. So I would give Jota the, the kind of 10 on Thursday. Uh, and for me, that means that you're looking at either Abada or Forrest on the right-hand side. That one's up for debate after the performances on Saturday. It'd be great if James Forrest was fully fit and able to play it. And then on the left-hand side, probably Mikey Johnson comes in there. Another one that could potentially play there as well is Montgomery. I think if you're picking between the two, you go with Mikey Johnson. I think when he came on in the second half, he was out in the left and he looked pretty effective. What I'm going to say, before I come back to you, Brian, what I'm going to say, you mentioned Tom Rogic there, eh? And you talk about dribbling. Uh, even though he's a massive he's a, he's a massive gap in the team because we haven't got a natural replacement for Tom Rogic in the game against Hibs he was only on the park 40 minutes he had mm-hmm. 29 touches and 5 dribbles on Saturday for the whole 90 minutes our midfield only had 2 successful dribbles between them it shows you that that midfield hasn't got the same hasn't got the same ability as what Rogic has actually got the only person close to him with dribbles is Yota. And as Colin says, that he's got he's got to actually probably move into that number 10 area. The reason I, I wouldn't be worried tomorrow about playing Yota in the middle of the park is, like, Friday, uh, uh, four, four games have got a clean sheet. And, and six out of their last seven games has been three or more goals. And Celtic loves scoring the first goal. So I've got a funny feeling... If, uh, Colin, you're actually saying that Friday might come out. And now Friday are a decent side. Friday are a side that would finish comfortably third in the Scottish Premier League. And we've got to remember that. So it is a tough away game. So I wouldn't mind Yota getting that number 10 role tomorrow. McGregor is a six. Turnbull Turnbull was the the number eight. But my two wide guys, I'm asking for a shift for James Forrest and Mikey Johnson. Because... I think Forrest has got more a defensive mind as well, where he can actually go back and Kyogo through the middle. That that is what I'm looking for tomorrow. That's the team that I'm looking for. I think the other option you've got as well, and I know he's not as effective out there, but you can play Forrest on the left. He has played out there before for us, and it means you bring a bad And the only thing with uh, the likes of a bad is see if he doesn't get into the first twenty minutes of a game. I just don't think he gets into it at all. And that's, I mean, obviously he's still young and he'll develop into it, but he had a great blistering start and then he sort of tailed off. I think you've got to give him the game time, but it's getting the right game time. And I don't know if Thursday night is the right game to put the kind of pressure onto him for it. He'll be a great option on the counter because he's got bursts of pace, but it's the final ball. And that's what we've been talking about for most of the show. The final ball's got to be better. Colin makes a good point there. I mean, who who carries it better? Who keeps the ball better, Brian? Abad or, or James Forrest? I mean, I've had the choice I would start Forrest. I, mean, I can I can agree with Colin, but no for the same reason. So I would never have a player out because I don't think they can handle the pressure. I think if, if you're actually they should, every one of them should be desperate to play. And if they can't handle the pressure, they shouldn't be at Celtic. So I wouldn't make any accounting for pressure because I would think, well, if you're here, you should be out doing a job regardless. But I agree with you in that. I think you can tell pretty quickly if he's going to have a good game or no. It's a maybe a bit of a pattern. It's probably his age because he's a bit inconsistent. But you know, ultimately, that's we can't really take that into account. He's, he's, and the, the choice for me, if I had the choice, would be Forrest starting. So I think he gives that experience in the front as well. You know, and it. He can change it up. He's, he's dynamic and he's strong and he can cut in. He's scored. You know, he, he likes to cut into the middle as well. And he's played as a second striker on occasion. So I, w- I think he just gives you a bit extra firepower um, and a, a bit more options. Colin, I'm going to come to you, Johnny Ryan, on YouTube. Johnson done nothing. Are you kidding? I'm basing this on the last two games. I'm basing this on Hibs and also Livingston. I think Mikey Johnston done well in the 70 minutes against Hibs. And I see tomorrow night being more a Hibs-type game than a Livingston-type game. That's why Mikey Johnston's getting the nod for me and my side. 
there isn't really another option out there unless if you're going to play Jota through the middle. Now, if you don't play Jota through the middle, then you're talking about who do you kind of pick up for the, the sort of 10 role? Because you can't play the same way that he played on Saturday. That It didn't work. Turnbull's not got the pace to play as a number 10. You're looking for somebody that's a bit quick, he's got a bit of, of, of something on the ball, and then you're looking at playing somebody on the left-hand side. Do you then throw in Montgomery if Johnson's not the option? I don't think it's, it's fair to put that pressure on somebody like that. Johnson knows that he's not been consistent enough for Celtic. You saw it when he kind of came on in the first game against them. For me, he's someone with a point to prove. And if it's not working, then you've got the other option to bring on someone like Montgomery or move Jota back out there. But if you're going to be effective and have a fast break inside, I think you've got to play Johnson uh, tomorrow night. There's a couple of there's a couple of comments coming in, Brian. Johnson was a worse player. Vhibs lost possession every time. Go and look at the stats, Kev. Um, again, I, I thought Johnson was probably the weakest um, winger against Hibs. But when I saw what Abada done at the weekend and seeing what type of game it is going to be against Ferenc Varos, I think Mikey Johnson actually deserves a shout and for Abada to come on. It's great for Posta Coglu to have this option and it's great that we're actually having this debate where six weeks, six weeks ago we couldn't have had this debate, Brian. No, you're right. It's actually, you know, it's funny. It's, we've been kind of complaining about a few things, but ultimately it is positive. There's a lot of positive. And one of the things is we've got options. We're having discussions of who should play. I suppose you're thinking, there's no, they have to play. We're now saying, well, they can play in this position. We can switch it off. We can move it around with options off the bench. And that's a better place than probably we expected to be, especially in recent weeks. So, yeah, it's good. And it's like, ultimately, I don't care if I'm wrong and it's the completely different lineup. It's anything for we've suggested as long as we get a result, right? Um, against Johnson, again, I wouldn't have dropped him for Saturday unless he's maybe no felt he's fit enough. But, I think the thing with Johnson, I get, I can't remember who commented, but I get what he's saying about losing possession and stuff, but I think he, he just offers a slightly different dimension at times, and again, he is good at dribbling with the ball at his feet, and it's just maybe a different option, a badder, you kind of know what you're getting. So, no, I'm saying he's a better player than a badder, I don't think that necessarily, but I think we've got a lot of space against Fene Varos, because um, they, they need to win, and I think that might give him the freedom of movement that maybe it doesn't get against a, a, a tighter packed defence. Paul Morpheus, again on YouTube. Sorry I'm picking up the YouTube comments, but they just seem to come in quicker than the Facebook ones and that. So apologies again if you're watching on any of the eight channels we're actually broadcasting on. Nonsense stats patter. If Mikey Johnson wasn't at his best, but still got in the right areas and offered a threat. That's maybe where I'm coming from. Colin, Michael the boy comes in again and says, Kyogo in the 10 of Georgios. That's worth discussing, eh? eh? Because, again, it's only been in the last six months that Kyogo's been a centre-forward. Yeah, I mean, you, when you spoke to him on uh, the fan media press conference, he did say that his preferred position was through the middle, but he had played a lot of games on the left over in the J-League. Um, look, would it be... Uh, let's go back to the Betty scheme, right? Seeing that first half, think of the performance that Albin Ayeti had, right? It was actually pretty good in that first half. So I'm not saying that uh, he should be thrown into the team or anything like that, but it does say that in these games we can have performances like that and you could maybe see if Yakamata starts on Thursday night and you play that kind of role with Kyogo in the ten that maybe he will be this performance and it will kickstart him on. He is someone who, to me, I think he's very low on confidence at the minute and he needs a couple of goals. I just don't know if you, you want to kind of put him out there because I don't think he's going to get a lot of touches on the ball. Now, you'll probably know how many touches he got on uh, Saturday, Kevin. Or you'll be able to look it up in the next couple of minutes. Um <laughs> He's got to get himself more involved in the game. I don't think he's someone who can just kind of drift in and out because when he did that on Saturday, when it came to actually stepping up and taking the penalty, he just his head wasn't in it. 
Lanky 67, Brian. Jota uh, played superb against Betis and he was on the right wing. I'm in the Jim Orr camp here. I like him on the right. I really do. I think his best performances have been on the right. But Rogic is not there. He has to move into the middle for me. Yeah, I, I actually like him on the right as well, if I'm honest. Um, but again, it depends on the opposition because he is good at coming inside and, and, and shooting or doing that, that deeper cross. But, but yeah, I, I actually like him on the right. I would like to see him there more. Um, but again, like like you two, um, I, I actually think Jota in midfield would be a, a really good shout. The interesting thing with Kyogo, I know he played it left in the J League, but it was a, I think it was a, a, a tighter front three. He was like a traditional winger. And then if you've got any Esther threading balls through you. Nah, well. When you're running in, it's totally different from playing out wide left in, in the SPFL. So, you know, the, the service aspect of his runs is what makes it, you know, runs in behind, running off the shoulder of the defender. So, I would have him behind Giamakis before I would have him out wide again. Um, but I suspect, we, we, if you see you to play Jota in midfield, I think he'll go up front, works better. Because his movement will make space for Jota to cut in and dribble. Um, Giamakis, I, I think, I think the idea is that he's supposed to be a target man. But as, as you say, Colin, he, he was um, he wasn't getting much in the air. So, uh, interesting to see. As him, and I think there's going to be space, Colin, for Kyogo tomorrow to actually exploit. And I mean, you mentioned Danny Esther feeding the ball. Cal McGregor's better than Danny Esther, Brian. Let's let, let's not get into that. Let's not get into that debate. I can't see nothing but Kyogo as the centre forward tomorrow, Colin. I can't see Yakamakis getting a shot. Nah, nah. I mean, I think uh, Russell came in with a point earlier on saying that in the five games that we've dropped uh, points, Kyogo's barely featured on them. One of the times he's out on the left-hand side. So it shows mm-hmm. you how important he is to that Celtic side. Um, it's the press as you, well. It's the press I, as well for the front. When you look at it, if you're going into your biggest game and you want to kind of rest your biggest player, I don't see how that works for you. I mean, that this guarantees football past Christmas if you win tomorrow night. And that should be the kind of the first target of this group is guaranteeing football past Christmas. And if you can secure that tomorrow night, then Kyogo's got to be the man to do it. Definitely. I mean, if we... It's not a must-win tomorrow night. It's probably a must-not-lose if we want to stay in Europe this season. Yes, we're going to drop into the Conference League, but it's a competition we've never played played in. We may as well accept the excitement of Europe, UEFA. Do you know where the the final is, Kev? Seville. No. No, is it not? I've just made that up. Did I dream that? The the final is in Tirana in Albania. Oh, the lobby lobby on the couch at the president of Albania. So <laughs> say we Declan McConville's already got his number, eh? So <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's like a twenty twenty five thousand seater stadium or something like that. So we'll maybe get a couple hundred tickets each. Oh, magic! Eh? I, I think I don't think it's a must win. I think it's a must not get beat tomorrow night. And I want to be in Europe after. Uh, after a uh, Christmas, Brian. Eh? So, and I also want us to get to keep on testing ourselves at a decent level. So, for me, this game is just as important as, as Dundee on Sunday. Yeah, I give you. I think we need to. I think if we're going to get better. We need to. We need to be testing against sides in Europe. And listen, the conference is still going to be a good standard. And um, and like like we said earlier, you know, it's it's still positive for me that we're actually thinking about European football after Christmas. You know, considering how the season started, considering, you know, post-apology coming late and, um, you know, all the transfer business and so on and so forth and the problems we faced, we're, we're, you know, touching distance for the top of the league and we're talking about being in Europe after Christmas, I think. I'd have taken that at the start of the season, so we're in a good place. I, I slightly disagree, Kev, I think it is a must-win. I don't see he's getting much okay. against, well, maybe Betis at Parkhead, but no away in Germany. And I think we need a... We need to get maximum points tomorrow. I'll, I'll um, Jose Betis comes in. I wonder if he isn't actually in Seville with a name like that. Jose Betis. Uh, Europa final is in Seville. See, I did pay attention at one point that there was a European final uh, in Seville this season. Before 
Roddy McDonald again, better in the Petrofac Cup at least. Well, yes, that's that's no bargain over Roddy. <laughs> um, Colin, what's your score prediction for tomorrow night? Uh, do you know, I think it's going to be a, a pretty close game. I can see the odd goal being in it. Um, I'll, I'll stay positive. I reckon we can sneak a 2-1 tomorrow night. Brian? 3-1. Uh, 3-1 Celtic. 3-1 Celtic. Brilliant, lads. Uh, thank you all for watching, listening and commenting. Uh, there's plenty more on our State of Mind channel. This evening at 6 o'clock, you'll have the State of Scottish Football. And at half past 7 this, e- this evening, you've got a new show called the State of Mind Oasis Album Club, which I'm going to be involved in. I'm just about to travel down to the studio to get prepared for that. Um, if you haven't seen Tartan Taste Buds with Brian McClare, please, please, please set set aside time to watch it. It's an absolutely hour and 45 minutes. A great crack. Um, Also on the channel, you've got this week's Guitar Guitar State of Mind Unplugged session as by the usual suspects. And we've also got a track by the Sherlock's from the Out East Festival that a state of mind covered a few weeks back. I mean, what else you got to watch? The Champions League is rubbish. So just get on a state of mind YouTube channel, subscribe, win prizes, enjoy the banter, and remember, just keep it Celtic, eh? Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Social Podcast Network. Sports 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 Social Podcast Network. Network.